Hello and welcome to episode 90 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the casual spike, focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies in modern and pioneer. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago, and with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, it's the one and only Shane Beeps. What's up, Stanislav? You know what's happening here? Is this weather? This is this well, this is this is legit. This is like terrifying, weird weather. My my state is on fire. First of all, congrats. <laughs> there are, there's ashes literally falling from the sky. There's like fires in the northwest and northeast, and there is a polar vortex that's shooting down the center of the state, dividing the fires and giving us like eight to twelve inches of snow in certain parts of the center of the state. I'm living. 2020 is truly a hell world, and I'm living in it along with many other people. So, so how is it in Denver right now? Are you cold? Right. No, it's 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 very weird and hazy, and the temperature is dropping, and it's like windy because like the pressure the pressure system is coming in. Yeah. So like it's it's wild out there. You're getting like that weird derecho effect, kind of where it's like the temperature's dropping 30 degrees or 50 degrees in two hours or whatever. Yeah, derecho is definitely. Uh, happening here. That's what, that's what I was telling everybody. I was like, we got derecho y'all snow derecho Man, everything I'm reading about like the fires out West. It's so heartbreaking and scary. So I'm glad you're okay. I hope our listeners are okay too. Yeah. I hope everyone's okay. People are like literally being, I think evacuated in certain areas. So, uh, this is kind of a platitude, but hopefully everyone's safe. Stay safe. Y'all also with us, the Godfather, Dave Harberger. Well, after that heartfelt bit, I have a more interesting, not interesting. I have a more, I have more of a goof. To share. How's, how's your dog? He's fine. Stitches <laughs> out. I'm done with him. Uh, so I just want to know, in our party, who is the warrior? Who's the cleric? Who's the wizard? And who's the rogue? There's only three of us, so we only, we're only going to get a three discount. But uh, which who's who? You're the warrior. You're the warrior cleric hybrid, Dave. Uh, so I'm a druid. Is that what I am? Well, what's like the, yeah, what's a warrior cleric? Like, I mean, clerics are kind of warriors. I think, I think you're just straight up the cleric. I would call you the cleric. I'm the cleric. Yeah, you're the cleric. Oh, okay. What were you hoping for, Dave? I guess I was hoping for the wizard, I guess. Um, uh, You're a pretty good wizard. I mean, I think Stan's a wizard. Stan's probably the wizard. Yeah. (laughs) Stan, well, Stan's, Stan's more of a capricious rogue. Yeah, I'll be the rogue. Okay, I'll be the, I'll be like the, I'll be like the warrior cleric, like high, like the dual class. Yeah, so you level up twice as slow as everybody else. Yeah, but I'm, I'm a half-elf and a dual class. Right. I have adequate night vision. And then I'm the wizard, and Stan is the rogue. Okay, great. Let's do it. Just wanted to clarify that before we got on. So when we start our D&D, our, uh, our Adventure Zone competition cast. Our real play D&D, because the world needs more real play D&D podcasts. Yeah, we got to branch out somehow. I absolutely love being called a capricious rogue, and I'm going <laughs> to try to make this nickname stick. Now, Stan, I heard that was in your vows coming up. <laughs> I should write those. Yeah, good idea. Capricious Rogue is Bill Callahan's new album, I think. It's really good. In this week's episode, we're going to share and discuss some of our belated reactions to last week's announcement for 2021's product line. One of the problems with recording on Mondays is whenever Wizards makes a big announcement on Tuesday, we're like a full week behind, but we still have thoughts to share. And then we're going to dive into the latest batch of spoilers in part one of our 20-part series on Zendikar Rising. Plenty of sweet blue cards to talk about, which I'm sure will make everyone very happy. But first, how about some housekeeping? Hello, welcome, and thank you to the newest patrons to join the Dive Down Nation. This week's shoutouts go out to Grandpa S. What? Jackie W. and Lorenzo C. We got Grandpa? 
Yeah, Grandpa's here. That's great. Also, huge thanks to Sean D for going up a tier in their Patreon support. Thanks, Sean. Thanks so much. Sean's a regular in the Slack, so. I mean, there's many Sean's. Are we sure that that's that Sean? I'm, I'm, pretty, probably I'm pretty sure it is. So I, sh- yeah. I should probably thank him in person. Also, big thanks to the man's was <laughs> for your review on Apple Podcasts. It was a nice one. I really appreciated it. So thank you, the man's. And uh, if you'd like to join our community of dashing rogues or whatever Stan was called earlier, capricious rogues, uh, you can find us at patreon.com slash the dive down where any Patreon level gets you access to our super secret, super fun Slack server. People talking about cards, magic, all kinds of stuff. Really fun note about the Patreon this week is our community ran a little FNM tournament last week. Thank you to Ben, longtime listener. That was live on camera, right? It was live on camera via spell table. So it was a paper magic FNM over Zoom and spell table that we had a number of the members of the Dive Down Nation participate in. And strangely enough, because we used mtgmelee.com, the results ended up on Goldfish. So if you look at the recent modern events, there's there's a Dive Down Nation FNM on Goldfish right now. Oh, man. Well, that's that's our breakdown, right? We're going to analyze the meta that we shaped. <laughs> Yeah, it was mostly blue-white control, by the way. (laughs) So nobody took our advice on what decks to play. Yeah, that was a big deal for me, just to see that appear on Goldfish, because it's been a goal of mine for a really long time to like do well enough that my name appears on Goldfish, either my real name in paper or my MTGO screen name. And I feel like we hacked the system. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so your your FNM two one made it onto Goldfish and now influenced the percentages of what decks are in the modern metagame. Hey, the first of many two ones. Thanks again, Ben, for putting that tournament together, and thanks to everybody who participated. And if you want to do fun stuff like that with listeners to our community, you know, there's all like I said, all kinds of chatting, people hanging out, um, things like this come up. Uh, check us out at Patreon.com/slash The Dive Down. Thank you very much for your support. Mana traders, uh, you probably know them by now. We like using them. 20% off your first three months using code the dive down. That's all one word smushed together, the dive down. Uh, yeah, I mean, not much to say anymore, right? Like they're really good. It's super efficient. It's you could just keep the cards. Like I, I've had cards for like five, six days and forgot about them, and they're not even bugging me about them. And I, I just like it a lot. It works really well. So yeah, use that manatraders.com. Promo code the dive down, 20% off first three months. Very good magic rental. Yeah, absolutely. Did you guys notice that the Mana Trader series that started this week is modern? Yeah, I mentioned last week that it was coming up. I didn't realize that it started this week, but it is going on. So get in there if you want to participate in the great free tournament series that Mana Traders runs. I will be doing it this weekend for sure. Stan's busy with some other stuff, but maybe Shane will get in there. Um, I'll have a little bit more lifetime in about eight days. So I'll probably be probably be in there. Awesome. Well, with all that out of the way, no one's really at the news desk this week. I mean, we have a visual aid. We have a visual aid in this timeline, the 2021 release schedule. Yeah. So we're going to talk about the release schedule that they shared with us. Um, basically, all the different ways we get to spend money in 2021. I, I have a feeling there's going to be more releases that aren't listed on this timeline that we'll find out about next year. Only time will tell. They usually have one or two surprises up their sleeves, right? Even when they share these big, I mean, but six releases in a year, which is what they have slated right now, is like a normal complement of sets. 
And so maybe this will be it. And maybe that's okay. I feel like we already got surprises in this timeline and which will be uh, fun to talk about. I mean, it's like, it's fun enough that we're like, let's actually talk about this on the episode. So the announcement in case you didn't hear quarter one standard set is a call time release. So that probably comes out in January. And didn't our, our uh, resident uh, Norwegian snowman himself, Odin, he was like, this is like calling it like Texas city, DC. It's basically like, like snow world or something like that. Or just like cold city. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> I love that. So we're going to Texas city, DC. Yeah. The plane of call time. And, and we'll do a little bit of speculating and, and, and reactions to it. But like I said, just the timeline after that, we'll get time spiral remastered somewhere between Q1 and Q2. The Q2 standard set is Strixhaven, School of Mages. After that, the next summer core set replacement is a Dungeons and Dragons tie-in called Adventures in the Forgotten Realms. I didn't notice that this was a core set replacement. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay. It's great. And then details are somewhat murky, but the quarter four standard release is a return to Innistrad that is somehow going to be broken up across two sets, one based on werewolves, one based on vampires. And then don't forget the biggest bomb, which is that in between Q3 and Q4, Modern Horizons Part 2. I mean, we knew that was coming soon. Like they, it one, it was popular and therefore it made bank and the set was called MH1. I mean, it wasn't even MH. Yeah. A little surprised uh, and maybe pleasantly surprised that it's happening so soon. In fact, you know, we're a modern podcast, among other things. Can we just start with Modern Horizons 2 talk? Sure. Let's do it. Straight to it, huh? Okay, let's do it. Are you guys excited to be doing a straight to modern set so soon after the impact of MH1, which had a very significant impact on the metagame that we still feel to this day? Yes. Because I think it was ultimately interesting for the format. Now, they did break some stuff. There's huge implications. But I think for the most part, it was fun. And it added some dimension to modern. And it allowed them to put some powerful cards into the format that did not have to go through standard. And I think that that turned out to be good overall. Now, it also was bad in some (laughs) ways. But uh, yeah. Yeah, I knew this was coming. But still, like since we got all these announcements all at once... I was in a slightly bad headspace and sort of like feeling like negative reaction to everything all at once. And so this was kind of part and parcel with my negativity. But I think that broadly, I think Dave's right in that modern is hard to shake up in fairly significant ways because the standard power level can't be eclipsed too crazily. And we have seen what's happened when Watsi has pushed standard pretty hard in the past year and a half, two years. There's been a lot of bannings and even bannings in modern of, you know, things like Oko and whatnot. So I think it's, there's a lot of potential there, right? My concern is that I, I'm curious to see if this will be kind of part of the, the fire sort of philosophy that people have pinned a lot of the contemporary issues on where it's like, Hey, we're going to really try to push this and we're going to really make some crazy cards and it's going to blow up modern for a while Yeah, and they'll have to reel things back or things will get banned eventually, you know, six months after it's not really being bought anymore. I hope that they try a little bit less hard, honestly, with like new big cards and maybe they focus a little bit more on reprints or they actually focus on marginal popular archetypes that, and don't just give established decks even better cards. Like, 
like why was Renan Six made? You know what I mean? Like why was Renan Six made? Like it, that didn't make any worse decks better. It just made good decks better. And like that, we saw a lot of stuff like that. I'd like to see. I'd like to see some. Some stuff like the, you know, uh, like when we went through the set spoiler, I'm sorry I'm rambling here, guys. Oh, I love this. When we went through the set spoiler, we were like, oh, like this might be something that like goblins can play, or this might be something that like actually makes slivers better. And it was all just sort of like this tertiary stuff that, and then there was a few big splashy cards that like went into Jund or went into like a bat control shell or something like that, right? And I'd really like to see it like lift all boats in a substantial way and lifts the smaller boats up a little bit more. Totally agree. One of the nice things about the MH2 announcement was they confirmed that enemy fetch lands will be reprinted at rare, which I think is pretty significant. We, you know, everyone always wants fetch land reprints and enemy fetch lands are the more expensive pairs. But you're waiting a year, which is kind of a bummer. Total bummer. Yeah, they did kind of make it sound like there was going to be a significant supply sooner rather than later. But I agree. I'm glad that they're printed here. It makes sense. I want to echo what Shane said a minute ago and maybe what Stan was going to say before I cut him off, which is I hope that they do a lot of reprints in this set. And I hope that they mix in new cards that they're making available to, to modern, newly designed cards that are just for modern and also reprints of cards that we need. Like maybe even Cavern of Souls would be fun to throw into this set because mm-hmm. that is really expensive again. Or um, I just would love to see him reprint Force of Negation and Season Pyromancer right. just to like get that supply up some more. So, do, do you think that's likely that they reprint Rare or Mythics from the last MH already? I kind of do. I, I hope that they do use some of that reprint equity now because the cards are expensive. They're super expensive on Magic Online. Let's just get the, that supply out there of those cards and, and see what happens. The fact that they're putting the fetch lands in there means they may be willing to break or bend the rule about no current modern cards will appear in a modern horizon set, or at least like that was the rule in MH1. So if they're really willing to kind of um, give up on that principle, maybe we will get like really awesome reprints like Cavernous Souls. And I think the best possible outcome, in my opinion, for a modern horizon set is something that introduces more people into the format rather than making the enfranchised players more empowered or, or more bought in because like they're going to buy the expensive mythics since they already have the decks that support them yeah i mean think of it this way there's a shot that they they do the other half of the horizon cycle that they need to in this set too right including horizon canopy but we'll be talking about that card again in a minute so but i'm excited for mh2 i i, I think all in all there was a lot of interesting stuff that happened in, in modern horizons one you know sam black confirmed on twitter that mh2 was the set that he was contracted to work on for Wizards of the Coast, which seems sweet. Oh, yeah. So hopefully Sam, Sam was a pretty uh, vocal critic of some of the stuff that happened as of MH1, and so hopefully that that leads to some awesome stuff. Yeah, some of the guys from Bash Bros. Was it Frolic? He's not on Bash Bros, but that's Brad Nelson, Corey Baumeister, and BBD. BBD, yeah. yeah. So the, the two that aren't Corey, I think, also were consultants. The two that aren't Corey. I mean, Corey and Brad? Oh, you mean you mean BBD and Brad yeah. consulted? Yeah, yeah. I think the the two that aren't Corey consulted on MH two as well. Sweet. Those those are good good players too. I mean, if there was one if there was one person I would trust to like guide something that's designed for constructed, like designed to impact constructed, it would be Brad and Sam Black. Oh, yeah. No, I mean I mean Sam Black. Yes, hundred percent. 
I do have one bit of MH2 anxiety, which is I think you can make the argument that because of the some of some of the stuff that was printed in Modern Horizons One, we lost Mox Opal and Faithless Looting. And maybe those cards were, you know, due to go at some point. Maybe not. I don't know. But like I would hate for MH2 to keep pushing power level in such a way that we keep losing like beloved modern cards. Like I would hate MH2 to be the reason we lose Metamorphos, for example. TikTok. Or Mishra's Bobble, for that matter. You aren't even playing Metamorphos anymore. What do you that's care? Not, I mean, that's partially true. No, that's not true. I got Storm. <laughs> Storm sleeved up. I love Metamorphos. Uh, Fixes oh, my yeah. mana. Yeah. If if anything, I'm just looking forward to having like another set review with yeah. y'all. Yeah. That was that was like the most fun thing to do is actually have a real set review that mattered. So much content. We milked what like yeah. four or five episodes out of that one set. Oh man, man, man yeah, Horizon still be great. It'd be great to talk about. It'd be great to argue about. Yeah, looking forward to it. All right, let's talk about the rest of the slate because I think there's just some fun, fun things to talk about here. So, Kaldheim, people have been clamoring for this set for some reason. I, I don't know why, but what do, you, what do you guys think? I think it would be cool if they managed to do like uh, a snow set that doesn't have snow basics, so that we can get like snow payoffs in modern without like crazy snow basic shenanigans in standard and pioneer and and historic for that matter. Because like something like Astrolabe, for example, is like a snow permanent that maybe enables other snow permanents. That's the type of design space that I think might be okay for standard in the absence of snow basics. Great point. I totally share your sentiment. Although I feel like this is going to have snow in it for some reason, I kind of hope that they don't just so that there's no snow basics in Pioneer, ultimately. That's a great point. Yeah. Snow, snow, snow. Um, no, I think this should end up being pretty rad. Like, I, I think Watsy has had some ups and downs with the world building recently, not to be too critical. But I think some of the world building has been a little bit flatter in the single, like single set plane environment. And I think we can talk a little bit about that in a second when we talk about Innistrad going sort of having the two sets there. I, I, I'm hoping that they're able to do some flavor development. They're, re, they're bringing back the magic stories stuff. And I'm hoping, I, I remember that that did add some world building to even to like cons and stuff like that. I remember playing, like reading a lot and being really invested during that. I'm hoping that they can make it a world that we want to go back to that like feels like it is lived in and that the characters are part of like part of that world because I really haven't felt that for whatever reason really strongly recently. So that's my hope. And I think it should be cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think it'll be as cool with as good potential as any other uh, block. The other thing I like about the call time announcement, at least, is that the set icon is an axe. And like, I'd kind of love a powerful artifact slash equipment matter set, like new toys for Stoneforge Mystic, maybe new ways to explore like some of the design space that we might talk about in the Zendikar Rising preview about these equipments that auto equip. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's, yeah, it's kind of setting that up. Like if they want equipment to matter in standard, then call time likely will have something that sort of can build off of that. Also, it's a set that's about cold and it's coming out in winter in the Northern Hemisphere. So good job. Hemispheres do matter. Way to be hemisphere inclusive, Dave. Well, I'm just saying our Australian and other people in the Southern Hemisphere who play, it's going to be summer. It's going to be summer there, unfortunately. I was 100% serious. I forgot about that. Thank you. All right. After call time, time spiral remastered. Recaptured the fun of a fan favorite block. This one is, I think, crazy. What is the point of this? Yeah, that is a good point. 
like what like this so this is the summer fun set right like so no this is this is this is christmas like christmasy no this is like valentine's day this is going to be the february release i think maybe okay. march oh yeah because yeah call time's january yeah so this is just kind of like yeah it's it's like you said dave like why like this they really felt like they needed to have something already penciled in for between call time and strixhaven I mean, for some reason, they think this is super fun. I will say, you know, as Stan mentioned, it is a beloved draft environment. But this set also notoriously was the end of sort of the second era of magic design. Yeah, like literally had what, like 10 plus like uh, mechanics, right? It had 30 mechanics. (laughs) Well, some of those mechanics only appeared on one card. But most of them only appeared on one card, and most of them were many of them were reprints. Some of them weren't reprints, but it was just a super com- complex. You know, Mark Roserunner, I think, has called it Magic's art house movie block before, kind of. You know, they're they're like self indulgent kind of block. So I don't know why they, I don't know who's clamoring for this product. Like, I hope that people who wanted it want it. For my part, I hope that the remastered version has some of the tasty reprints that are needed out of time spiral. Cause let me hit you with a few cards here. Tarmogoyf. Okay. Been reprinted a ton. Still could be reprinted again. Sliver Legion is a hundred dollar card right now for our EDH friends. Horizon Canopy, Mages of the Moon, Dryad Arbor, Damnation, Urborg, Gemstone Caverns, Angel's Grace. These are all cards that are like at least 20 bucks. Gemstone Caverns is up to $50 now. So there's just like a lot of potential there for reprint fun. I'm hyped for this mainly because I think that Time Spiral was perhaps the most interesting creative concept that they had. And if so, if you're not familiar with Time Spiral, basically it was like past, present, future. So they had old reprint cards that were like in their old border um, and then printed in one set. And then the next set basically was like, um, so future site was basically cards that will appear eventually. Like these are, these are cards that we will, isn't that what it is? It was like glimpses into a theoretical future. Yes. Yeah. And the, but they, they did say that they would be, they said everyone would be reprinted. No, they didn't. They said they said many of them were under consideration to be printed, like and lots of them better. have, <laughs> and some of them have been tweaked to fit like more fair paradigms. Okay, but so that's it. You also should, we should mention Planar Chaos was a set where they took and color shifted a bunch of cards. So that's where a card like Damnation comes from. Where you know Wrath of God was the card that existed before. They took they shifted it into black. Damnation. Um, there's tons of cards that are like that. Like there was spirit link and they made vampiric link. And like, there are other things that happened other than moving cards from white to black, but. (laughs) (laughs) So they also announced with this set that they're going to reprint some, some cards that I don't believe were an original time spiral, but will be in this set with old magic borders. So, so what is that pre eighth edition or seventh edition maybe? So like Pat to exile with the original magic uh, card frame or brown artifact chalice. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to look awesome. They did show that. It looks so good. Yeah. I think this is going to be just really cool. I, I really hope I can draft in a store by then. I don't really like online drafting. I don't think it's going to be happening. Um, but this would be something that like, I'm, I don't want to buy a box of this and just crack it. This is like something I really wish I could like get together with some friends and like have a draft. Cause it's going to be designed to be a really good draft environment. Yeah. I hope. Here's the thing that I'm nervous about times Spiral remastered. 
if they put it on arena and it enters historic, that's just going to blow up the historic format. Wow. Yeah. Unless they do the thing again that they did with jumpstart where they're like, you don't get path to exile. Instead you get winds of abandon. I don't know. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm hyped for this. I think like, I think they could throw some really interesting curveballs. They could, they could print stuff that we're not expecting at all. Like just like, Hey, here's some, here's a new future site or like a new like planar chaos type thing because that's the kind of environment where they could be like hey we we said we're going to remaster this but here's something you totally didn't expect us to do because it's time spiral right all right so that's time spiral remastered perplexing but maybe awesome fun kind of experience driven magic basically well what do we have to say about the potential for strix haven i'm a i'm a ravenclaw so am I. A place where uh, owls live, apparently. Stan, what are you? Slytherin? Oh, no. You have ambition. No. So we, we recently rewatched all the Harry Potter movies, and we decided I'm either Ravenclaw or Gryffindor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we're all Ravenclaws. <laughs> yeah. I, not a huge fan of Harry Potter, to be honest. I think but, it's fine. I mean, I like the setting idea for this. And for me, for some reason, it feels like it might be a little bit of a goof. Like it could be a time when the magic standard sets has some fun stuff in it. And hopefully they, um, if they lean into something that's a little charming, witty kind of it's not uh, unglued levels of jokiness, but hopefully it's kind of like some funness. Maybe like throne, like throne level. Yeah. Throne or even just like, you know, a couple, just a set with a little bit of humor in it is sometimes nice in magic because as I'll talk about in a minute, I think that there are times in magic's story and history where things get really dour and not fun. And magic has this whole other lens where it can be not so plotting, you know, the themes and the story and just the art direction. Gotta say, this is the the set I'm probably most excited about other than MH2. And I, I can't quite place it. There's just something about like this concept of the school for mages. I think it's gonna have a lot of wizard type cards. I think it's gonna have a lot of like fun spell land creature spells to play with. That this is the one I have like the highest hopes and dreams for. This is something where I could see like a young pyromancer type card. You know what I mean? Where it's like it's I hope it, I mean, I imagine that the colors will be kind of like house-like where it's like green's going to have some big, you know, beefy uh, men and women who are large CMC creatures, but there's going to be a lot of small, efficient mages that are, have cool effects or cool abilities. So I see what you're saying, Stan. I think that there's a lot of opportunity here. I think that you like fun more than I do. Like, I hope it's, I hope it's fun, but not cute. I live for fun. I just, I just really hope that they, they, they split the uprights with the, with the flavor here. You guys ever read any Discworld books like Terry Pratchett? There's some great, funny Monty Python-esque writing in Terry Pratchett's books that are depict like where wizards learn how to be wizards. And I would say maybe let's not go that far, hopefully, but those are great books. If you ever want to, ever want to read some funny fantasy, uh, check it out. Discworld. I can't wait to read some funny fantasy (laughs) in my life. It's good. It's worth, it's worth reading. It's worth reading Terry Pratchett over uh, Harry Potter. That's yeah. all I'll say. Or like the latest in a series of like depressing, like nonfiction looks at the world that I like to read. Mm-hmm. You got you to you take your foot off the, the gas of reality sometimes. All right. Next set. So this is the one that I'm actually the most excited about, I think. Same. Which is the Adventures in Forgotten Realms. Dungeons and Dragons comes to magic. That might surprise people. I guess I might surprise the two of you in oh, some is that, ways. Is, because that, is that the actual tagline? 
Dungeons and Dragons comes to magic? No. Okay. I think Stan put that in the notes. Okay. Yeah. Phew. So uh, I can't believe they're doing this. Finally, in some ways, the properties have been in the same house for so long that I... Hey, what took so long? I mean, I understand why they didn't want to like cross the streams. They're each kind of doing their own thing. There's a ton of lore around D&D, of course. And there's a ton of lore specifically around Forgotten Realms. And it is long. I have... One D&D, so I don't really like playing D&D, but when I was a kid, I really enjoyed the books and the lore and stuff like that. I have one D&D book left still, and it is, I believe it's called The Forgotten Realms Atlas, and it's like a 1994 just world book of like, these are all the different cities, this is like who's there. It's a really complex, like whole world geography stories, multiple centuries of stories. I don't know how they're going to jam that into one set. I don't know how they're going to get planeswalkers into D&D if they're going to bother, if they're going to try to like retcon that stuff. You know, are we going to get cool legend characters from all of the past of D&D? Are we going to get Drizzt Dorden and Elminster and like all of these people that I used to love reading about when I was in sixth grade? Or is it going to be a little lighter touch? I don't know. But I think it's cool. It's it's kind of the definitive high fantasy world. And so we'll be nice to see how magic interprets it. Stan was just shaking his head so much during while I was talking. Just well, <laughs> everything you said just made my head shoot back in shock and awe. Um, I mean, yeah, this this is the one I have. I don't know. Concerns too strong of the word, but like I, I, my anxiety is that they're going to try to maybe introduce like weird D and D game mechanics into MTG. And the thing that I kind of keep returning to is like I don't ever want to see a card that says roll an eight sided die, or like I don't want to have to be responsible for character sheets. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm going to call a couple of shots here though. I think that they're going to do like party will definitely be in this set and this will be how they sort of culminate that idea of party in standard. So there might be some powerful cards with that mechanic there or enablers. We'll see. Uh, And then I think the other thing is this might, we might get back to level up, Mm -hmm. which is Uh. a mechanic we haven't seen in a really long time. Uh, It was in the original Rise of the Eldrazi. So they might have to figure out a new, more updated magic designed way to do it. But that's very on theme for Dungeons and Dragons as well. That was, that was sort of in like fate, right? Like fate reforged sort of had that correct. Didn't that have like outlast? No, no, no. That was like remember like the the green the, like like that green low drop has sort of a level up ability. Well, that was a like a that was like a color shifted figure of destiny, yeah, which is yeah. another way to look at it where it's got like you have to do this and then you have to do that and then you have to do that. But there was straight up like my card is levels 4 through 6 now. I mean, hex hex drinker is it has level up. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so I I could see that come back. I'm so here's it's what I'm what I'm interested to see is core sets are where we kind of rely on having some interesting reprints. Um, I'm curious how they're going to handle that because like, it's going to be hard to have sort of a named reprint in the forgotten realms environment, perhaps like you can't have a scavenging ooze in forgotten realms. Sure. You can. Why not? That's a pretty generic card. I mean, it's a good point. It's harder to have something like, um, sea chrome coast or whatever. We've talked about a bunch, but dark confidant. Don't forget. We went a few years without corsets also. And, and we were fine. Like uh, corsets don't have to be a sacred cow that we need every year. I, I'm glad that they brought them back. I hope that this doesn't connote this, an idea that they're going to get rid of them again forever because we had a lot of reprint problems like Shane was talking about when we did not have corsets at all. But maybe taking one year off is okay. All right, finally, maybe finally, Innistrad, parts one and two, 
this is vampires versus werewolves, the hottest fad in teen lit fic. Is this lit fic? <laughs> you mean you mean YT? Hey, YT can't be lit fic. Yeah, I mean, but Litvik is like Jonathan Safran Foer. What's YT? Oh, YT. YouTube is YT. <laughs> YA, yeah. You, okay. You, yeah, I mean YA. Young adult. I, I, yeah. I really like the first Underworld movie with Kate Beckinsale. Mm, it is not bad. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'll be curious to see the execution. I, you know, otherwise I feel kind of ambivalent. Cards are cool. Like, I, I'm not going to poo-poo any new releases or cards just because, like, I'm always happy to see and talk about and try new cards, but... Like, I'm pretty Innistrad agnostic. Here's what I would say about Innistrad, and actually Zendikar in some ways, too. Is, and and it, it fits with what I was talking about earlier with the idea that magic creative doesn't have to be so grim and plotting. Like, I think that they really messed up a few years back when they brought the Eldrazi story to... Battle for Zendikar, Oath of the Gatewatch, Shadows of Innistrad, Eldritch Moon. They took all of these worlds that they had that had interesting and underdeveloped sort of different creative and then just put them under the gray blob of the Eldrazi. And it honestly, it made for like two years of this weird gray mass of creative where everything was like ashen cities and like really grim people and Lovecraftian horrors. And that got really tiresome after a while, and it made Kaladesh, for one thing, feel like a total breath of fresh air. And I think that um, I'm excited to go back to Innistrad and Zendikar in a certain sense, just because like they get to be what they are now, and they don't have to fit within this other arc. Yeah, I I just do feel that they. I, I wish they would stop going back to these wells sometimes. Like like this third visit to Zendikar, I'm not feeling a lot of flavor in the cards. I'm not feeling a lot of story, like looking at the cards and maybe I'm just not looking hard enough, but for, uh, Innistrad, like we're getting like a guaranteed two sets. Right. And this is something that we've had. We had a, a block then we had a, a two set block and now we're getting another two set mini block type thing. And it's like, we know what we're going to get. Everyone knows what we're going to get. And maybe that's why they're doing it is because like, you know, they, they know that people like the, the horror theme. They know they like the, the flip cards. They know they like the monsters and, and, and stuff like that. And that's definitely good to have something, you know, it's going to sell pretty decently, but I'm, I wish that they would do like apply this concept of world building, like across multiple sets into new worlds. Mm. Like, like one of the successes of like cons, like one of my favorite blocks even though like fate reforged looking black back isn't that like amazing right but like they had a world that they built and they had a story that they told over three sets and why not do something like that new to make us be like man i can't wait to go back to kaldheim you know what i mean like let's have like a two set kaldheim thing like just we know that it's going to be that and tell a story that makes people sort of feel like, oh, these are the heroes of this environment. This is what happens to them, which is really hard to do in like when you're just opening up a bunch of packs. Yeah. And and maybe there's just a really cool Innistrad story. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think that Zendikar feels like original Zendikar to me, which I have affinity for because that's when I started playing Magic again, realistically. And I think that there are other moments like that. I mean, Cons is when you started playing Magic. Yeah, that's a good really. point. But also, yeah, but there was a cool story. Like, the time travel story was pretty... It was like, I mean, it was fine. It was fine. I mean, they're all, they're all... I think they're all kind of fine, except for, like I said, where they... I feel like the Eldrazi thing went on for way too long, and it made everything too bleak 
and kind of yeah. single note. And um, but so I'm excited to see like go go back to to Innistrad and play some of the cool horror stuff and uh, let's see. But this is like way more than we have talked about flavor in a while. Stan, what do you think about going back to Innistrad? I feel nothing. Give me give me some spooky Perfect. stuff. You know, I'm I'm a spooky boy. Like, let me see some some ghouls and ghosts, and uh, I'll be fine. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think like shadows was as good as people were hoping. Like, the thing that Innistrad lives and dies by is the limited environment. Like, it's it's known as one of like the top two or three limited sets for most people. And it's not like people are like, oh yeah, shadows really knocked out of the park. Right. Like no one, I mean, it was like, fine. Like people don't talk about it. It's not in people's like top tens even, you know what I mean? Uh, It was a good draft environment though. The Eldritch moon, uh, Eldritch moon shadows was a good draft environment. I I, I think that that's something that's just been strong with magic design a lot lately. Like, but I think what people would expect is a knock it out of the park with an Innistrad environment, right? So maybe we'll get that. And maybe that's something that people will really be like, yeah, this is killer. I can't wait to draft this again. Yeah. Last thing. Uh, this is unscripted, but was anyone else surprised that they didn't mention anything about like Pioneer Masters, which they've kind of hinted at? Didn't you think there may have been like some acknowledgement? Nothing's that expensive yet. It's not that bad. Car- cards are cheap, Ron. He's talking about Arena, though, which I think they're, they're thinking mm. of as a separate product cycle. Yeah, this is kind of the paper plan. Oh. Yeah, and I also think that there are there's stuff on here that's not, or there's stuff that will happen that's not on here. Like, they didn't mention Commander 2021. Right. There's going to be deck, you know, pre-cons and all that kind of stuff. So there will be other stuff. But, you know, as far as what the tentpole releases for paper are for Magic in 2021, this is it. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I hope we get some more Yargle reprints, but... <laughs> Also very strange, <laughs> but I hope someone out there was really thrilled that they decided to make that. I would rather have a Thibble Flip secret layer, but that's just me. Okay, this was a lengthy but very fun and different breakdown. We're going to take a quick break, and when we return, we are going to jump into the wide, wacky world of Zendikar, grab our machetes and and carve through the, the brush, review some cards, see what happens. Stay with us. And we're back. We're on the lush plane of Zendikar with our friend Ahiri and Jace and, and Nissa. We got some cards to talk about. This is going to be a two-parter where we do our reactions to cards and we're going to you know, pontificate on how they might play in Modern and Pioneer, maybe elsewhere. Uh, but before- We're going to have like one of those YouTube videos where it's like, the dive down reacts to Zendikar spoilers. Yeah, with shocked faces on the cutout photoshopped background. Six million downloads. Yeah. Before we jump into the cards specifically, we love to kick off these episodes with a quick reminder of how we evaluate cards and some of our, our criteria that at least we keep an eye out for. Um, and I feel like I got all of this from Dave. So Dave, walk me through this again. Everything you've taught me all those years ago that you still remind me of once once every three months. Absolutely. So going to go through this really quick. This is like the lens that we use to try to evaluate cards that we think are really appropriate and good fits for modern play. Little less so for Pioneer, but the same rules kind of still apply in some ways. It's sort of like a slightly less powerful bar or lower bar. But here's here's what it is. The biggest thing is casting cost. So one of the main things that I do when I look at a spoiler is keep an eye out for things that are one mana spells, 
two CMC or less creatures and three CMC or less walkers are like the first level that I look at things for to do a sweep and see like what, what has a good chance of being playable in a large pool format such as modern or pioneer just because of casting cost. Because as we talk about on here quite often, casting cost is a huge, huge part of how spells make it into our formats. Number two, one thing that we look for is cards that are duplicate or slightly functional reprints of other cards that are in the format already. For example, uh, there's a card in this set that is almost, it's just a color shifted version of a one CMC aggressive creature from old Zendikar, taking us from having four of them to eight of them available in the format. This is the type of thing we're looking for in every spoiler. And there's a few instances, instances of that here. The real deal why we do that is because going from four copies of an effect to eight copies of an effect in your deck is massive and often takes a deck from being a meme to being powerful and consistent. We look for uniquely powerful effects. That sounds like a really dumb and kind of duh thing to say, but it's a good thing to keep in mind is that a kind of ho-hum creature, even if it has a good casting cost, a middling casting cost, is really not going to be that good what we're looking for are things that aren't done by other things or aren't done as well by other things that exist already. So in with that unique effects, we're also looking for cards that slot really easily into archetypes that already exist in modern or pioneer for that matter. And then finally, we look for cards that draw cards or cards that can be cast for free. And when I say cards that draw cards, I mean, uh, cards that can trip more so than I'm talking about draw spells and uh, spells that can be cost for free is basically keeping an eye out for any cost reduction mechanics, because that's a big, big flashing red light for cards that might make it into eternal formats. So those are kind of the guideposts that we have. Keep those in mind as you're looking at the spoilers. And this is kind of what we've done as we've looked at the spoilers as well. Right on. Let's briefly talk about the mechanics of Zendikar part three, uh, the land through time. Uh, First, we've got party. Dave mentioned this earlier on in the breakdown. What party is, is it, it kind of it highlights four creature types, cleric, rogue, warrior, wizard. So it's kind of trying to be like a traditional four-person Dungeons & Dragons party or kind of any RPG you've ever played in your life. Uh, the number of creatures in your party is how many of those roles you can fill with a creature you control. Each creature you control can fill a maximum of one role, which is important to note. So like your shapeshifters, your changelings aren't all types. They can only be one. So there are cards that get discounts or benefits for having party members on the battlefield. I think right now, this doesn't really feel like pioneer or modern consideration. We'll see what happens uh, in subsequent sets. Because like Dave said, I think that the Forgotten Realm set may have something where a uh, party seems like a bigger deal or there's a bigger payoff or something like that. Yeah, flavorful doesn't seem breakable to us. So definitely we all just passed over these, I think. Yeah, I mean, I was looking at modern humans, of course, and I was just like, oh, everyone's a soldier. Mm -hmm. Like there's no there's no warriors. There's, you know, there's maybe like one or two wizards. There's, you know, it's just there's not rogues. They're just soldiers. So it's not you're gonna get a lot of great options there. Uh landfall. This is a classic Zendikar mechanic. It's just written as like landfall. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, something happens. 
This is a constant in Zendigar gameplay. Uh, then remember, note this is every land, not just your primary land drop for the term. So a fetch land into the fetched land is two landfall triggers. Kicker is also in this set. You know this. Uh, you might like it. Uh, you might love it. It's really good for limited, typically. It's usually not too constructed playable because typically the kicker is pretty high it's to sort of be like your mana sink like when you've got eight mana on the battlefield can be useful not always but when they're good they're good and we should also note that kicker is one of the like er mechanics of magic so a lot of the cards that we do play are just variants of kicker and so just keep an eye out on it you know um what's the what's the kick is escalate the one that was from like for example the collective brutality has its escalate right, right? yeah like that's basically kicker so like Kicker is one of the big mechanics. We're all familiar with it. Like Shane said, it's all about how cheap the both halves of the card are, the non-kick side and the kick side. I also just want to say really quick, Landfall definitely has cards that are constructed playable, and especially in modern because of fetch lands. Very curious to see if any of these are good enough to make it without fetch lands and Pyo, for example. But Landfall is a strong mechanic sometimes, although we're going to have a healthy discussion about that later on. <laughs> Here's a big one, modal double-faced cards. Okay, so quote from the mothership, like previous double-faced cards, modal double-faced cards have two card faces, one on each side, but they don't transform. When you play a modal double-faced cards, you choose which face you are playing. When they're in your hand, graveyard or exile, it has the characteristics of the front face only. So when you're like searching your library for a land card, you can't find like that modal card where the front face isn't the land. Um, or if it allows you to cast an instant spell from your graveyard, uh, you could cast if, if the front side is the spell, but the backs, but you know, but not if the backside was the spell type thing. So you have to pay attention to that a little bit. There's a number of double face cards in Zendikar rising and they, they all right now appear to be based around lands. So there's spells that can be lands, creatures that can be lands and lands that can be other lands. And these are known as the pathway land cycle. Let's just jump right into the pathway land cycle. They're one of the marquee announcements. Yeah, that's what I was trying to do, Stan. That was my smooth transition. Thanks for thanks for running with it. I like it. I was just going to say, this seems super powerful to me as a mechanic. And so I'm going to be very curious to see where this goes. They also mentioned that there will be other modal double face cards in upcoming sets. And so get prepared for a reality where you have to have opaque sleeves. This is kind of a mechanic that works very well on digital and a little less well on paper. So, Shane, know. your flow was so excellent in that mechanics is under card three rundown. I didn't want to interrupt you, but I wanted to make a quick comment about the party mechanic. Because we're not really going to talk about any party cards, I think, in, in today's episode, because none really jumped out to us, um, and that's fine. But I think people have been reading these cards as they're only like good or playable if you have a full party. And I'm kind of on the lookout for maybe cards that like only need one or two party members to to like for the cost reducer to be fine. Like if you just happen to like have a wizard or a warrior in in your deck and like maybe you could throw in a party card and like actually get a little extra value off that. I think that mechanic may be playable under those conditions. And I think the two most likely ones where those will be good are wizard and rogue. Sure, sure, sure. Okay. Yeah. Those are the ones where I think it might happen if it if it does. But it's a good point, Stan. And the, the hard part is, you know, do I have to have a board for a card to be good, or is the card's floor 
already decent, right? Like there's always that balance where it's like, if this is a payoff for having other creatures down, like aren't I already a little bit ahead here? And so that's the kind of stuff that you have to keep your eyes, you know, that, that I always keep in the back of my mind is what's the card's floor. Cause it's really easy to think about the ceiling, but we, we got to hit back to these pathways. We gotta, cause cause they're rad. I think they'll be okay for pioneer. So let's, let's talk about pioneer first and then modern. Sure. You want to do that? Can you describe what these cards are first? I guess. Okay. So these, these are for whatever reason, six lands, not five, not, not half, not half of the set six. And they are lands that have one color on one side and another color on the other side. And they, you pick one, that's it. So like if it's a, a clear, the pathway, like clear, the clear water or Merkway pathway is blue or black. When it enters the battlefield, you pick one. That's what it is. They are not typed. So it's not an island and a swamp. It's just a land. Um, we are currently getting blue, black, red, green, green, white, white, black, blue, red. You guys are happy. And red, white. So, and the most important thing is they come into play untapped. Thank you. Which you yes. didn't mention. Yes. Uh, I guess. I guess that's important. I think that is literally the reason why they're probably worth talking about is because they're untapped duels sort of so the real consideration is like where do these fall or the consideration for at least me is where do these fall on like the the power level spectrum of existing dual lands right like are they as good as shocks are they as good as fast lands are they as good as check lands in what kind of deck are they better than others and i think that's the kind of thing that really is interesting about lands like this is you have to figure out when and why and how many of these type of lands am I playing? I don't have a good answer. I, uh, I, 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 have, a, I have an idea. I think, uh, so you mentioned, let's start with Pio before modern. Yeah. I think the allied colored lands will almost all see Pio play because yeah. th- this is the alternative to allied fast mana. So like the red green one, the the crown lands, I think they're a shoe in Yeah, that replaces the reveal land or something. Mm-hmm, exactly. So I, I like those, but like the the glide lands, the is it land, like that might not actually see a lot of play outside of just like budget considerations because like we have so many better options for is it mana, whether it's a pain land, whether it's a fetch land, shock, what have you. I think these could be better than pain lands. I think in Pioneer, I would probably put them at slightly better than pain lands. Um, but then the... Uh, like what you talked about, Stan, the, the gruel example. So I think the gruel example is interesting, the interesting one and perhaps the most interesting because right now gruel is like, I don't have a pain land. So I've got to, I don't have a fast <laughs> land. I don't have a pain land. Yeah, I don't have a fast land. So I've got to go, what if they need to go from like, if you need to go from green to like double red, then the reveal land is potentially better because it taps for green or red, right? It's like you play this on turn one and you have green, but you don't have red. So you can't do red, red on turn two or something like that. Right. So there's like heavy, heavy color in one direction, but like splashing another could be challenging for a land like this when it wouldn't be for the, the pain land example. Right. Like, so let's say your, your is a deck is like, I have blue, 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 then the pain land might be better than this pathway land. But if you just have sort of have like an even mix of red and blue, then maybe the pain lands out and you play the pathway instead. 
I, I I still can't believe, or probably can, that all the ally colors <laughs> aren't here right away. Like, there's yeah. no Rakdos. So basically, they have three of the five. There's no Rakdos and no Azorius. I assume they're going to be here later. Confirmed. It's been confirmed by Morrow that okay. they will be in Kaldheim. Yeah. So they're coming here very soon. It's But this is just, like, yet another sign that, like, Pioneer was clearly developed in isolation mm-hmm. from the sets that were going to come out <laughs> after its announcement. It's just like, what are you, what are you all doing there? Yeah, I mean, I think these are really sweet. I hope that they're good. I mean, it's tough to just not go, wow, these are untapped dual lands. Like, they're untapped dual lands. They just have a big constraint on them. But, you know, if you construct your deck in a smart way, I think it won't be hard for people to use these. And I don't know. I mean, I saw, I think, Todd Anderson say that he thought these were the fourth best cycle of lands ever. Yeah, I've, I've seen that basic scale. It's like, yeah, f- duels, I mean, like fetches, shocks. Was he considering duels, the original duels? I think so. I think it's fetches, shocks, duels, and these is okay. what he's implying, yeah. but I, I don't know. I mean, I, I would definitely rather have a fast land in an aggro deck, but like, <laughs> you know, that's that the amount of fast lands you play versus these because he's always coming to play untapped, right? So like late game, when you have a fast land, it's not that great, but... Stan, what do you what do you think? So the thing that I'd I'd like to keep an eye out for with this cycle and like some of the other lands that are like enters the battlefield tapped or you have to pay three and like you have like some other ability on the other side. So really all the lands, all the non-basic lands in Zendikar 3 that have like modality. I wonder whether they will enable stronger synergies for cards like Deprive or Tragic Lesson, where you might be benefited from like playing a certain type of land early and then if you need to like pivot toward a different color in the late game you have that option or be able to like grab a, a like a spell that's basically been in hideaway you know that uh, you get to enable later on so i think that could be fun I, I don't think these are the fourth best lands but todd is a better player than i am so i hope it was todd i'm not 100 percent sure it was i just don't see how these see play in modern like so like okay for it to be better in modern than the fast lands, right? So like Jund plays Black Leaf Cliffs because it can then have bolts and push mana and then still be able to cast a Seasoned Pyromancer or a Liliana of the Veil, which have double color requirements later on curve when they need to, right? So like if you want to bolt on turn one and Lily on turn three, you gotta have you gotta have the the the, the two colors. Isn't there a possibility this is better in like storm? Yeah, certain decks for sure. Or burn, it might be better than the Shocklands or things like that. Yeah, I think I think that that that's the thing. That's what I like about this is like this is like a consideration, right? Like when do I play a fast land? When do I play this land? What's the number? What's the balance? And that's a good thing to like not be automatic. I also think it's a good thing to have budget options for people who want to play in some of these stronger formats and want to have access to better mana, but might be priced out of fetches or certain duels or certain fast lands. So like our friends at the BM cast probably love these. All right. We do have some other like type of uh, flippy lands. I mentioned them earlier, right? But is that the official name? Yeah. Flippy. These are the ones that are some kind of spell, all kinds of different spells with a land on the, on the opposite side. Right. And so there's there's several different cycles of these. The first one I wanted to talk about is the mythic cycle where they come into play untapped if you pay three life. And the flip side is basically a seven CMC, eight CMC spell in each of the different colors. Huge effects. 
Uh, for example, the white one is called Amiria's Call, and its spell side costs four white, white, white. Create two four four white angel warrior tokens with flying non-angel creatures you control gain in- indestructible until your next turn. It's a sorcery. So it's a huge like control finisher style of card on the backside of a land that can come into play untapped if you need it to. A, a, a single color land. Single color land. Yeah. And the other ones are things like there's a the red one is a meteor storm effect, basically, that lets you divide up damage amongst a bunch of targets. The blue one is basically omniscience and draw. The green one is a facsimile of Genesis Wave. And I don't think we've seen the black one yet still. But I got to imagine it's something like bring three creatures back from the graveyard or something, something kind of like that. Uh, what do you what do you all think about these ones? When the mechanic was spoiled on the white one, I think people were like, whoa. But now that we see that the full cycle is all giant spells, what do you think? I'm bad at evaluating stuff like this. I feel like, I mean, because these type of effects, these big mana, high cost effects, seems like con- like control finishers, right? Where it's like, I can play this as a tapped land um, and keep up mana for like a counter spell or something like that. Or late in the game, when I top deck this, I can cast it and get a good amount of value off of it. Like the question I guess I have is like, is this worth seven to have a come into play tapped single color land that else that costs you three life when aggressive decks are likely already something that's antagonistic towards you? So again, it's like there's a balance there and I don't know well enough how to strike that in my mind. I do love that they have that option. Right, like if you can afford to play a tap land, do that. If you need it untapped, you can do that too. And I think the white one for me has been the most impressive so far because I think like this is exactly the type of card that you can consider as a control finisher. Whereas like sometimes you know you have these issues like Baneslayer Angel where you kind of want to draw Baneslayer Angel. You don't want it in your opening hand, but this is good if you draw it or if it's in your opening hand. And I love that. Or with something like Cryptic Command where you can like play the land early and then eventually you're going to need to cryptic something and you can bounce it back and then you have your finisher too. I think that's kind of like a nice tool to play with. I agree. I think that these are pretty good. I think they're kind of like one of slash two ofs in decks. I don't think they're going to end up as four ofs in anything. I saw uh, St. Doom and another Titan player talking on Twitter about the green one fitting directly into Amulet Titan as another like way to ramp into your payoff cards or go looking for a Titan and see what happens. Um, I think there's just a lot of options here. I think that the, sh- the red one shatter skull smashing might even end up as a one of in a deck like burn. That's just like, sometimes you got to kill some creatures. Uh, maybe you don't care about the, the paying three occasionally for the land, but sometimes you just need to get some blockers out of the way and it's okay. Maybe burns a bad example and it more fits into something that's a little more tempo-y, but, um, yeah, this, they just don't seem like they cost you anything to play. And so I think lots of decks are going to play a couple of them except for the blue one, which I think is some kind of combo piece to me. But I mean, I, I do feel like it's a cost here. Like it's a, it's just a single color and in the formats that typically want to have a lot of fixing the, the three life is a lot for expensive spell decks that typically are trying to go longer and they don't want decks to go underneath them. So yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I'm not, I'm not a huge, I'm not like the biggest doubter in the world, but 
I these just not these aren't cards I think designed for the type of decks I like to play. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's talk about the rares and uncommon spell lands really quickly. There are a lot. There's so <laughs> many. Is kind of the only thing I could say, and I'm just going to give you a list of like here are the effects that are on them. There's creatures. There's a regrowth. There's an impulse kind of effect. There's a terror on a swamp. There's a fight mechanic. There's a fling. There's a sensor. Mm-hmm. There's an act of treason. There's a gut shot. There's a two mana elf. There's a card that is winds of change on the front, essentially, which is called Valakut Awakening. There's a discard spell. Like the Scorpion song? Yeah, exactly. Uh, contemporaneous moments. It was in Winds of Change was originally in Legends, so it came out not that long after the Scorpion song. Great podcast. Check out the podcast about Winds of Change. Um, but the thing is, like, there are so many different of these effects that I think there's kind of like everybody's going to be looking at one of these cards to be like, does this fit into my deck somewhere? And should I consider running a few? Totally agree. It's just. I mean, I'm going to save this for the end for maybe when we have a chance to kind of recap our first impressions, but it's it's just this set is all about like giving us options to consider for how we can fine tune and tweak a deck's plan to be as efficient as possible. And I think these cards really exemplify what that's about. I agree. I, I do feel like that's primarily geared towards like arena best of one play than like say, here's some options for your modern power level deck but I think that I'm probably overlooking something. Like, I think the, the costs here are very safe, very safe costs. That's because the effect is super scary. <laughs> I have to be honest. I mean, even the the white rare one that was spoiled today, that's an eight mana planar cl- cleansing on the back of it comes into play tapped planes, seems like totally good because of what Stan said. Maybe you have one of these in modern, Maybe you're okay with having one and then you cryptic command it back to your hand when it's time for you to try to cast the spell. Basically, if you need it, like these are powerful cards. I think that this design is kind of earth shattering for magic in a way. And so I'm glad that none of these look like they're totally broken off the top. Um, So that makes me feel a little bit better, but the mechanic itself is like really super abusable. And so I'm, I think so far it feels like they've done a good job balancing it yeah here's hoping what's the one that you guys want to play off the top is there any you want to play i like the white one a lot you want the white mythic kind of yeah like i i think the white mythic is probably the one that really stood out to me it's like it was i'm pretty sure it was the first one that was revealed and and like it kind of struck me as a showstopper shane how about you none none of them seemed costed well enough for me to want to play them but i'm happy to be wrong I am looking forward to playing the red one mana gut shot spike field hazard. Mm. I just feel like that has a spot to live somewhere. And so I'll be curious to see if it happens. Cost one. Yeah. I think the the three mana red one Valakut awakening is also pretty important just because it's a red way to not just draw cards, but like get dead cards out of your hand. Yeah. There's probably a deck out there that can abuse the discard effect to or actually it doesn't discard it puts them in your on the bottom of your graveyard but there's probably something that uh, on the bottom of your library i mean there's probably something that just abuses that part of it too but um we'll see do you guys want to talk about some some other cards some real cards i don't know if i think these are real cards but let's uh let's do it let's talk about the planeswalkers those are the next marquee cards stan i think you want to talk about these walkers stan i do and i think this is one of the first conflicts that we're gonna have on the podcast today because i think some of these are quite good and I got the impression that you guys were more underwhelmed by them. Take us through it. Give us your worldview, your world wake view. 
I'll just jump in with the one that I like the most, which is Nahiri, heir of the ancients. Two red white for a legendary planeswalker, Nahiri. Plus one create a one one white core warrior creature token. You may attach an equipment you control to it. It's just that line of text blows me away. Minus two, look at the top six of your library. You may reveal a warrior or equipment from among them. Put it in your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in, any, in a random order. A little less less impressive, but whatever. And then minus three, Nahiri deals damage to target creature or walker equal to twice the number of equipment you control. And she starts with loyalty for... I think you mostly play her for the plus one. And then sometimes you'll play her for the minus three to clear the way and just win. That's funny. I think she's all about the minus two. Yeah. And let me give you my capsule review right now for why, but it's because Winota is a warrior. And so you can use Nahiri to dig for Winota and Nahiri makes non-human tokens that can trigger Winota as well. That's my thought about this card is like, maybe it fits in that kind of shell. I feel like Stan is seeing some other stuff, so I'm glad to hear it. But I I think this is a side card of Winota. Why do you think this effect is worth four, Stan? That's the whole thing. It's like, sure, the plus one is cool. What makes it worth four? Yeah. Okay. So um, I I think cheating on making a body and cheating on an equipment cost is like huge. And I think that alone might just be worth four mana um, on any card. I, I, I will say, I don't want to overlook Dave's point about Winota. I, I'm surprised to see people talk about her Nahiri in that deck just because uh, Winota is such a fast, aggressive deck that I don't know if you want to like wait till turn four to do something like this. Well, and also all you're doing is tutoring it. It's like, yeah, right. But it's just like redundancy. Yeah. yeah. Like, I feel like it's a way to, it's a way that's on plan, on color to do it. And it takes you out of green. That's the big thing I don't like about you can't get out of Naya. Because you can't tutor up a tutor up a Winota. Yeah, I think the the card that Winota is going to want to play is Lotus Cobra, but maybe more on that later. Um, so I, I have a little bit of tunnel vision with this card. I think this card is, could be really cool and good for some of the red white equipment Sigarda's eight decks we see in modern. Cost four. But but listen to this. Like turn one, uh, you like play land. You, you need to hit all your land drops. But like turn one, maybe you cast a Colossus hammer or whatever turn two you have stoneforge mystic to grab a sword or another equipment turn three you can just either hold up uh stoneforge to cheat in that equipment or you can just cast a sword and then on turn four you make a body and cheat on that equipment cost and the fact that you have like these really powerful equipment in modern that this cheats on those costs and that like you can basically fetch up any kind of equipment you want that's relevant for your matchup and then make sure that it both has a body and you have the mana to put it onto a body like i think that's a really powerful effect for a deck that really struggles against like mid-range and removal and this is like the type of thing that maybe it does make it a little more mid-rangey but it also makes it i think more resilient to some of the things that it's weak to it like it, it literally solves problems for that deck I mean, I, I hear what you're saying. I think it's a maybe. I think it's a sideboard card against something like that potentially. I don't think this is. I don't think this is a main deck. It's too expensive for what the deck's doing. I think. I I just think like it, it is netting mana ultimately. Like yeah, it's it it's an investment, but I think like making a body and cheating on an equipment cost is something that literally can cost up to four mana, if not more. Can we talk about another planeswalker that's netting mana, or do do we have more on Nahiri? That's all I got. No. I just want it to be heard. We're never going to get through this list of cards. I love it. I hear you, but I'm I'm moving it along. 
Uh, somebody call Tanner and see if we can buy him lunch to do an extra long episode. Yeah, three hours. Let's do it. So, Nissa of Shadowed Boz. Two Bows? black green bows. Yeah, like, in, like when the, when the bow, bow? Where the bow breaks. Bow. Yeah. All right. Legendary planeswalker Nissa. Nissa's back. She's Golgari for some reason. Uh, whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, put a loyalty counter on Nissa. So Nissa has landfall as a static, which is like, I thought you were going to stop making planeswalkers with statics. Watsy, thanks. Plus one, untapped target land you control. You may have it become a 3-3 elemental creature with haste and menace until end of turn. It's still a land. Minus five, you may put a creature card with converted mana costs less than or equal to the number of lands you control onto the battlefield from your hand or graveyard with two plus one plus one counters on it, starting loyalty four. All right, when I first read this, I was like, I don't think this card is very good. And then I looked at it some more and I was like, wait a minute. This card basically does a one-shot Fires of Invention as it's minus five. And if you wait until the fifth turn to play this, you can play Nissa, drop a fetch land, crack it and get a card, take her to six loyalty, and then minus five her to get a creature into play that is a five drop or lower. Seems pretty good for modern in that sense. Um, so just because it lets you cheat on mana... I started to be like, I think this might actually have some potential. I'm not sure what shell it goes into or if it's just a card that like is a sideboard option or something that helps you in like mid-rangey matchups to get around removal or something like that or to get ahead of somebody. But uh, after I read the card a little bit, I started to go, I think this has some potential to be- do something. What do you all think? I like I like Nissa Compost Queen. Um, I, I like uh, here's what I think is important is the lands have menace, okay? In a deck that's playing a card like this, you will have a lot of removal. If you have the board not completely clear, but clear enough, um, menace creatures actually do some good work. Um, And I think that's important. I think it's a good way to get damage in and consistent damage in. Uh, and I like the fact, I mean, like Dave said, landfall is huge here. It's like, it's a, it's a way to recoup like the, the, your, the, the minus five, like you can get to a point where you can use the minus and still have Nissa on the board to then like start plussing up again. So I think it's, it sort of gets around the loyalty issue of planeswalkers in a way that I think is pretty powerful. I mean, does this just like go in the rock and get you back scavenging ooze and you're okay with getting a four, four scavenging ooze back from your graveyard or something like that? Like that's the other thing is that the car, the creature that it plays comes in with two plus one plus one counter. So you don't yeah. have to feel bad about bringing a two drop back. Yeah, it's good. I think there's a lot here. I like the fact that it's like, it's not busted, but it's good. I think it might be more pioneer power level then like but there's no fetches in pioneer well, and so well, you hold on this is this is this is uh the our sultai delirium style decks they all play fabled passage it's not amazing but it's all this is the kind of thing that could easily allow you to have fabled passage working for you i mean uro also gets you extra cards growth spiral yeah i also think it's fine i think it's fine even without like a bunch of landfall like it's fine like three three elemental like lands with haste and menace that's fine for a plus Give it to me. All right. Seems good. Anybody care about this, Jace? I think it has. It's interesting. I don't know if it's great. Yeah, I think it's so interesting. One blue blue for a legendary planeswalker, Jace. And it has kicker, too. 
So if you cast it for three, it comes in with four loyalty counters, plus one, scry two, zero loyalty, draw a card, reveal. I mean, this isn't a zero, it's a minus X. Draw a card and reveal it, remove a number of loyalty counters equal to that card's CMC, and that's it. It doesn't have an ultimate. But if you kick it, it comes in with a copy of itself. And, and yeah, and the kicker's not too bad. It's just five instead of three total. Yeah, so it goes from three to, you're either casting this on turn three or, or you're casting on turn five to really feel good. Um, and I like how the two copies work with one another, where like you can do the scry, figure out exactly when you want to draw, and then draw that. And likewise, like I just love that it sort of scales depending on where you are in the game and the effect that you want. Scry 2 is not as good as drawing a card, but that's pretty good card selection uh, while protecting itself. Like Going up to 5 loyalty, I think, is, is not insignificant. I also think this does anything. It doesn't do anything. Yeah, it's hard to imagine where this goes or who would want an effect like this, I think is the real issue that it would have to overcome. It's like, do you play this in a deck that's like just wants to scry a ton? Like ad nauseum? Not not really, but like, you know what I mean? Like something where it's like, I just want all the card selection. So give me a bailout, give me a one of where I can like save myself if I have a bad draw. You know, cards like this make me wish that in Slay the Spire, there's a card that like whenever you scry, you get a certain upside. It's a power card. Why don't we have that in magic? Why don't we have a scrying matters enchantment or artifact? Or even creatures. We have cycling yeah, matters. We do have those, but I don't know if they're any good. <laughs> like, I just feel like they're probably something that was like a limited uncommon in M11 or something like that. Let's let's talk about one of the marquee mechanics of Zendikar's landfall. And I, Dave, I know there's a card that caught your eye in the spoiler. One of the only cards that I think is definitely, definitely from the spoiler going to get consideration in modern is Aquam Hellhound. Costs a single red. It is an O1. It's an elemental dog, sup dog. And it has landfall. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, Aquam Hellhound gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. There's another card that I think some people have eyes on that is called Brushfire Elemental for a red and a green. It's an elemental. It has haste. It's a one, one. It can't be blocked by creatures with power two or less. And it has the same landfall, the plus two, plus two landfall. Essentially, Aquam Hellhound is a color shifted reprint of Step Links. So now we got a dog, we got a cat. This is step links in a more aggressive color, which is important. Yeah. I mean, white isn't the least aggressive color in the world. Yeah, but it's not as good as, not as, good as red for the aggro. But in modern, you don't really care, I don't think, especially for the shell that this goes into. But Shane, I'd love to hear your thoughts on just landfall in general before I get to the things I have to say about this card. Let's take like a little, very short, because of course we're running long already. My issues with landfall constructed, Okay. Landfall requires things to go right. It is not a guarantee. You cannot look at landfall and say, cool, every turn I have a 2-3 a, a, a attacking elemental dog. Every turn I have a 3-3 three, three brushfire elemental. Or every turn I'm making a fetch land land drop and getting two landfall triggers and I'm living the dream. Landfall requires drawing into more lands. And so, like, these cards are fairly aggressive, right? So, like, you're running, like, 19, 20, 21 lands. You don't even have that many lands to draw into. If You have to look at the floor. You have to look at the floor. And if the floor is too low, then that's not that great. And so, it's kind of like, it's one of those things, just reminders. Like, you have to live in reality, and you have to think about your math. Like, if it's a three CMC landfall creature, neither of these is, then, and it's an aggressive creature, it's like, well, how many more lands am I drawing? 
Two? How many more lands am I playing this game? One? Two? Like, you know, landfall doesn't matter. And so that is why I think that it's really significant when it's on a one-drop. Uh, during this standard, it's worth note- noting, not this standard, original Zendikar standard, there was a pretty popular deck that was called Boris Boros Landfall that was a red-white deck that had step links on one and plated GOP'd on step on uh, turn two. And they just tried to make super giant creatures from landfall triggers and attack in with them. I think that for what it's worth for modern, the red green one that we talked about Brushfire elemental didn't rate with me because it's not a one drop, but with a one drop and now having eight one drops that have plus two plus two landfall. I think that there is at least one deck and maybe multiple decks that that package can go into to create some pretty super aggressive starts a la going off with monastery swift spear and the the archetype deck or like template of the deck that I'm thinking of when I talk about this is a deck that has been known as Death Shadow Aggro, a deck that has Death Shadow, Monastery Swift Spear, Wild Nacatl, and Step Links already in it. And so in my mind, you can probably just get rid of Wild Nacatl now and just swap over Nacatl for Aquam Hellhound. Maybe that deck gets a little more uh, consistent, a little more aggressive, because the big thing is when you have a two drop like Shane said, or a three drop, how many more land triggers are you going to make? But if you play a turn one drop and then you play a fetch land on turn two, you're attacking with a four or five on turn two or baiting out someone's removal. And you can probably do that twice. And so that's where I think you start to get some real payback. And so the fact that we suddenly have an eight pack of one drop landfall creatures in modern i think is big yeah there was like a you're not super high performing but it was there like a tribal flames aggro deck that ran like step links and stuff like this this would slot right into that i mean it runs it runs curd ape too the last time i played that deck and nakatl and stuff like that and yeah this this slots into that too and so that's totally possible as well gotta go fast yeah okay that's our landfall digression let's talk about some cards that don't really fit into a theme (laughs) i'm gonna hand this one over to stan so this is cards we like, finally. <laughs> this is cards that Shane doesn't care about. but That's not true. But Stan and Dave are frothing over. Early contender for the card I wish I'd pre-ordered as soon as I saw it, before it already doubled in pre-order price. Seagate Stormcaller. One and a blue for a human wizard with kicker a four and a blue when Seagate Stormcaller enters the battlefield. Copy the next instant or sorcery spell with CMC 2 or less you cast this turn when you cast it. If Seagate Stormcaller was kicked, copy that spell twice instead. You may choose new targets for the copies, and it is a 2-1. Stan, I think you're fine. I think you're fine missing missing the boat on this. I think you'll be okay when this is like a $2.50 card. Yeah, you, th- you think it's a dud? Maybe, Stan, why don't you tell us why you like it first? Yes, Give us some positivity. I think it's actually I think it's actually fine. Well, I, I think it might just be an important role player. I don't know if it's like quote unquote excellent, but I just think it's very good. Um this is not Snapcaster Mage. Like that's the first comparison that I think like you kind of want to make. And to me, this reads like a blue dreadhorde arcanist. Um and when I was thinking about this card and why I like it and why I think it might be playable is that there's a reason Dreadhorde Arcanist and Snapcaster Mage don't ever or very seldom appear in the same decks. 
there's a tension in terms of the type of spells that they want to play. Like Dreadhorde Arcanist likes really proactive, if not aggressive spells. That's why it tends to pair really nicely with hand disruption or removal. Whereas Snapcaster Mage, you can play a whole host of spells, but because it has flash, it really wants to maximize like instant speed abilities. Whether it's certain types of removal, um, sometimes it's hand disruption, but also really importantly, it's counter magic. I think Seagate Stormcaller could do a couple of things. A, I think it pairs really nicely with Dreadhorde Arcanist because it doesn't exile cards from your library. So although you're almost never, never want to cast this on turn two, unless you're playing Bodder and you have like Phyrexian mana spells in hand. Um, I love the ability of something like turn one spell, maybe hand disruption or burn spell, turn two Dreadhorde Arcanist, turn three this and a spell and then you swing with dreadhorde to copy like whatever you cast on turn one or whatever you cast with your stormcaller so there's that i also think that this could maybe like be that glue or the the card that bridges the gap between dreadhorde and snapcaster mage where it gives you a lot of extra tools to double up on spells with those two other cards Whereas, wherein it basically makes Snapcaster a, a better aggressive enabler. Um, I think that one of the issues with this card is that it doesn't copy your Wizard's Lightning. It just turns it on. But, you know, something like a blue-red burn aggro deck with, like, a bunch of burn spells and this and the other two Wizards, like... A, that's just the kind of deck that I would love to play. And B, like, I think it has the power level to to synergize with other cards and the mana cost to like really slot in nicely. Yeah, I think it's a big key to looking at playing this card to realize that you have to play assertive spells with this. This card cannot go with like Path to Exile, for example, because you won't always have two targets that you want to fire off Path to Exile at. So what you really want is like, burn because you can either point it at your opponent's face or you can point it at their creatures or you want stuff that you're only going to point at your opponents which is like thought seize. you know what i mean where you're kind of like okay i'm just going to double thought seize you on turn three what do you think about that <laughs> i think that that is something that people forget when they're playing this card because y- you have to have two targets to make it worth your time and so you have to be thinking about what spells you include to do that and then the other one is like do you opt you know what i mean where you're kind of like well i'll just opt twice with this and then that's not too great but it's sort of like a, a fail case that that can work or like two serum visions is awesome like the first serum visions you scry and you set up your second one like i think that's pretty cool yeah i think this card's probably good right like it doesn't i like that it doesn't have to survive beyond the etb to like get the copy effects and like we know that like one in the blue for a two one that duplicates a spell is pretty proven but like we mentioned kind of passingly that it's not snapcaster mage but i want to kind of look at like why it's not and it doesn't provide selection and it doesn't provide like guaranteed sort of card advantage that snap does like so thankfully it's it's one in the blue so you're likely to still have some cards in hand when you cast it but it's like such a worse late game top deck than snapcaster because like you don't you have to have a spell in hand you're not like picking something that you've already cast and getting that selection and the card back. And it also doesn't flash, right? So it's like, there's a lot of issues that there's a lot more setup involved here. There's a lot more build around Whereas snap is like, throw me in a blue deck with spells. And you got a stew going. 
Yeah. And this is an, one of our first cards tonight that we're going to talk about where the kicker is literally never going to come up. Right. It's flavor text. It, it, the kicker is maybe what makes it playable in the late game. Like if you've been like clutching a, a, a burn spell and like you're you just need to like find something to double up, whether it's this or Snapcaster Mage to like make your lightning bolt do lethal. Yeah. But we're talking like you need eight mana to do that. So, well, you got mana line around. Spend it. Can we skip to another card that we're never nobody's ever going to use the kicker yeah on yeah and that card is scourge of the skyclaves this is probably the mythic that one of the cards that i'm the most excited to talk about yeah this card rules so this card is one in a black for something what is it a demon am i a demon (laughs) am i am i am i demon yes i am or am i vampire Um, yeah no you're devo you didn't like my Danzig reference that I messed up. Uh, let's see. Yes, it's a demon. Uh, so when you cast this spell, if it was kicked, each player loses half of their life, rounded up. And then it says, Scourge of the Skyclaves, power and toughness are each equal to 20 minus the highest life total among players. So its power and toughness is star slash star. I just think this card is super good <laughs> and is going to see a ton of play. Um, and yeah. people, it's getting some hype already. I will say I pre-bought this card after missing out on Seagate. I bought this card for $10 a piece from Card Kingdom. I probably paid too much, but I was just like, it's a mythic. I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not like too worried about that price. So I'm just going to buy it. Um, here's the thing. People are already talking about it fitting directly into, um, Death Shadow as Death Shadow copies five through eight. I think that there's a good chance that that's where it goes. I also kind of think that it could be a card that goes into the the red black Rakdos aggro decks that are coming into fashion in uh, modern a bit over the last few weeks. You know the kind of Lurisy prowess build. And here's what those decks have in common: Fetch Shock mana base so that you can hurt yourself, Thoughtseize so that you can hurt yourself and protect your threats, and Lightning Bolt which I think is a little bit of a surprise because Death Shadow doesn't always run for Bolt, but if you want to have this threat in the deck with it, I think you're probably going to be thinking about running for Bolt from now on to bring your opponent's life total down. So what's the fail state for this card in that case then? It's like a two-mana 3-3 three, three, or 4-4, four, four, kind of at the worst, worst, worst of times, I think, personally. And I think that's pretty good. Yeah, the floor is not bad. So this is like this is like a high-ceiling, low-floor card. I mean, excuse me, high-ceiling, fine-floor. I, I think. I mean, there's going to be moments where you're like, I can't play this because it's going to die. But you deal with Death Shadow too, you know what I mean? It's like, there's plenty of times like, yeah, Death Shadow is rotting in my hand. Yeah. And the key here is like, you have to watch it in your life total and their life total together, right? Because it's looking at both of your life totals. So you have to do some damage to yourself. And that's why you pretty much have to stick with Fetch Shock, aggressive Fetch Shock and Thoughtseize and Street Wraith and stuff like that to make your stuff go here as well. Um, but I think this is a cool card. I think that it gives... It takes away some of the incentive that Death Shadow had to stretch into green to get Goyf, which is probably a good thing in the long run because it makes the deck a little less uh, reliant on the graveyard as part of its payoffs. Do you think maybe this replaces Gurmog Angler and cuts your need to do something like either Thought Scour or Mishra's Bobble so that you could then play like the burn spell so you can start to manage your opponent's life total as well? Uh, I'm not definitely not a deck tuner. I will say that the the list that I've seen online from like Michael Rapp, you know, our our friend of the show and Death Shadow aficionado have a couple of anglers still, but it's only like a two of. 
and still has Bobble, but I don't think it had Thoughtseize in the list that I saw that he was looking at and people he was talking to, or not Thoughtseize, it doesn't have Thoughtscour uh, on the list that he was looking at online. So I feel like I would want to pivot this deck to be like more like a Mardu or Rakdos, you know, like I want more burn. Like I want like Scourge to be like a ridiculous creature ASAP. Yeah. I mean, that's why I like it in the prowess shell as a possibility as well. As long as you're sure that you're hurting yourself and you are hurting your opponent with, you know, getting in with Monastery Swift Spear and stuff like that, I think this seems good in that shell as well. Although, I, you know, I could be wrong, but struck me. And also you get to recast it with Luris, which is like sweet, right? So I like it. It's, I mean, it's a great card. It's a, it's a, it's a mythic effect. It's a good mythic that I think has play in multiple formats. It's, I think $10 is probably a fair price. Yeah. And I mean, you know, people are talking about it with Roiling Vortex. I saw somebody on Twitter bring up Char, which is a card that not a lot of people have looked at in a while that's in Ravnica. That was a good foundation of a modern or of a standard deck back in the day. Cards that damage your opponent and you are good with this card around. So something to keep in mind. And apparently I have Death Shadow on the brain because I've talked about it twice tonight. I want to talk about a, a, a useful card that I think is not too flashy, and that's Skyclave Apparition. It's a one white, white core spirits does not fly. Uh, when an ETBs, you exile up to one target, non-land, non-token permanent. You don't control with CMC four or less. So Stan's already interested for MS four or less CMC spirit. When Skyclave Apparition leaves the battlefield, the exile cards owner creates an XX blue illusion creature token where X is the CMC of the exile card. It's a two, two. Okay. Here's your like flicker wisp. Banisher Priest hybrid card you've all been clamoring for. What I like about this, it hits a lot of relevant cards. It exiles it, so it's not on the graveyard. They don't get a token until the card's removed, and the token is likely worse for them than what you exiled. Because you're just getting, like, all you're getting is a 3-3 three, three for 3, or a 4-4 four, four for 4, or something like Imagine that, Imagine right? targeting, like, Tarmogoyf with this. Yeah. You're going to win that game. I mean, there's a lot, so this just has a lot of flexibility. I think it's, like, awesome and, like, some tier two ish type stuff like, or tier three, like Eldrazi taxes and soul herder and stuff like that. It's potentially even useful in spirits. Like I, I think that there's like, there's some conflict with some other existing cards like deputy, which you identified Dave deputy of detention. Yeah. Although you pointed out a good thing in the notes, which is that deputy of detention does not get rid of the thing permanently. Yeah. This one is thought not seer esque in the sense that the card never comes back. You just get something in exchange for it when, the apparition goes away. Yeah. Like if this had flying, it'd be bonkers, just bonkers. But even as it is, I think it's strong and it's, it's has enough play that I think it will see play in, I think in pioneer and modern in different decks of varying power level. That's it. It's not, it's not nothing fancy, just a cool card. I definitely identified this card and then backed off of it. And now I'm kind of like getting back on it. So I think, I think it's a tool in the toolbox. As, as long as we're on white and as long as Shane's in a good mood, I want to pitch you a card. Uh, as soon as I saw this, I thought of you. Luminarch Aspirant, one in a white for a human cleric. At the beginning of combat on your turn, put a 1-1 counter on target creature you control. It is a 1-1. Did you unban Walking Ballista in Pioneer at the same time as printing this card? I did, yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, man, this card is like so interesting. It's like such a cool piece of tech for something like a scales deck, like the the green white scales deck that people were hoping could be something in Pioneer, perhaps like, you know, it's not that great by itself and it takes a little time to be useful, right? 
And it's not like this green white scales decks has proven itself viable already. And I don't really think this like pushes it over the edge. And I don't think this sees uh, modern humans play. If, if Ballista was still here, yes, immediately. This card would, would be great. Um, but I just don't, I don't see it. Unfortunately, I'd like to see it. It's a tool in the toolbox, but I don't know if it's better than other things in an already not great deck. Haven't we been seeing like a black-white humans deck emerge in Pyo like every once in a while, especially after Elob like introduced uh, General Lisa Kudrow, and then we also have like a bunch of powerful humans from Shadows Over Innistrad block and elsewhere. I just don't, I mean, I don't know if this is good enough on rate, like just raw rate. Like, I don't think it's fast enough for what it's doing. Like, you untap with it, and it's, uh, it's what, like a two-mana 3-3 three, three or something like this? Or that's not even that, right? Like, it's just, I just don't know how good it is. I don't think it's that great. Um, like, I think it's more interesting and maybe, like, sort of a, a, a roguish, like, pr- proliferate-style thing or something like that. Or um, maybe green-white scales, like, does try to slot this in in some number just for kicks, but I don't know. I don't think it has modern play, unfortunately. Um, and maybe something like you said, like maybe some kind of humans build and pioneer, it gets there. I've got another card that when I saw it, it made me think of Dave, but I feel like I'm alone on this one. And it's Fissure Wizard. Fissure Wizard. Is it, is it because of my cosplay or who I was going to be in our, in our D&D that never happened? Yeah, it's like a very cute version of you. Uh, one in a red for a goblin wizard. It's a 2-1. When the Fissure Wizard enters the battlefield, you may discard a card. If you do, draw a card. I feel like people are sleeping on this card. On a rummage effect? Yeah, on a two-mana wizard with may ability rummage effect, yes. I mean, when I see this, I'm like, I gotta try this in Is It Phoenix? And the reason why is... A, I want a cheap way to put Phoenixes in the yard. B, I love that it lets me play Wizard's Lightning in Is It Phoenix, which is something you were never able to do before. And C, I think this is a creature that's actually good in a deck full of Thing in the Ice. Because I'm okay like bringing this back in my hand and then using it later to recycle like extra lands or, or extra Phoenixes that happen to be in my hand after the Thing in the Ice flips. Plus, it's only two mana. I mean, I could be wrong. This one just seemed kind of like, I think there are cards out here that already do this that aren't seeing play. I'm not sure if they're at 2CMC. This immediately made me think about Insulin Neonate. It was just kind of like, wouldn't most decks that wanted the discard effect already have been trying Insulin Neonate? But I I don't know. I mean, Neonate gets to attack in with Menace, at least, but it's um, you weren't doing that with that card that often. I don't know. Harkening back to last week, does does is it Phoenix even play like Merchant of the Veil, vale, Haggle in in uh, in Pioneer or something? Not really. Yeah, I don't know. Like I like your ambition here, Stan. It's like I feel like it's it's enabling things like you're saying, but I don't know if it's good enough by itself. I, I think this is just the kind of thing that I want to try in Phoenix to see like if it helps tighten the screws a bit because it has like a lot of text that I think serves that plan. Whether or not it's as good as the alternative is like the question. I got some alternatives for Phoenix coming later that we can talk about, but can we, can we have an argument? <laughs> why it's why I record every, I want to, I want to talk about crawling barons. Okay. Oh, okay. Sure. Yeah. It's a, it's a colorless land. You tap it to add colorless. It, enter, it doesn't enter the, the battlefield tapped, which is kind of nice as far as this note in our, in our notes does. Um, for four mana, you can put two one one counters on crawling barons. You can then you may then have it become a zero zero elemental creature until end of turn is still a land. Okay, 
So people are kind of like, oh, is this for Eldrazi Tron? Is this for Tron? I think people are pretty hyped about it, but I think there's also some people who are pretty measured about it. And I think I'm more on the latter side. Are either of you like, yeah, this is this is perfectly awesome. Like this card is great. I feel nothing. <laughs> you don't play Eldrazi Tron. Stan, this is not really your kind of card either, I don't think. I mean, I I wouldn't be surprised to see it as like a one of in in Green Tron. Oh like no! There's, fed, there's there's just no room. Like here, okay. This this gets you just point. cut a forest. You just cut you can, one of the you forests. Can't, you can't you can't cut forests. Like you have to you have to have your forests. Like you need four. Like going down to three just sucks. I think. I think I think honestly it's better in Aldrazi Tron because like in Tron you're winning with other in other ways just by like how good your stuff is off the top. But like, like people are like like people I think see creature lands and they're like, well, this is good for a grindy matchup, right? I think, but I think like grindy matchups have the most answers for a card like this. And then you have to shave something else. You have to shave another utility land. And what are you shaving? So like when I look at stuff like this, like it's like, okay, this fits into like, this is like that thing I always like to talk about again, which is like this go, okay, why aren't you playing X? Or what do you think about X? It's like, well, what am I taking out? Like what comes out to get this in? And you have to make it better than like a scavenger grounds. So you have to make it better than, you know, the fourth forest or something like that sometimes. Or better than like a blast zone. For my part, Shane likes to play the what are you taking out game. And I like to play the why wouldn't you just play have already played this card that's very similar to it that already exists. So right now in Gather, I am looking at Mobilized District, which is comes into play untapped, cost four to activate, but is a 3-3 three, three citizen creature with vigilance when you do it. And its ability goes down in cost to activate which with each legendary creature and planeswalker you control. So in a deck where you have... You know, you got your your Karn the Great Creators, you got your Karn Liberated, so you can get it down to three. It's a three-three, and it has vigilance. Like, I feel like if this was a problem in one of these decks, people would have already been trying this card out just as a as a spicy one of. So I I don't know. That's why this card didn't even rate for me when I read the spoiler. Yeah, I mean it was an early spoiler, so people like were immediately like, oh, cool, like I, where do I use this brand new card type thing? So I'm curious to see if even by the end of the spoiler, like people will be amped up about it. But I think one of the things that is neat about this ability is that you can put counters on it. It can be your mana sink, but you don't have to expose it to removal. Yeah. That is that is a nice thing. And yeah, yeah I think that's a good up. way to be tricky with it. You can charge it up. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I don't think it's bad. I don't think it's great. I think we'll wait and see, which is like measured takes are super lame, but there you have it. I think it's a heave, but you know. What's a card you love, Stan? I haven't heard one that I feel like you've been super excited about other than Stormcaller. Um, I, I really like this set. I don't even know where to begin. We could talk about Cleansing Wildfire. We could talk about the dragon. We could talk about both. Go for it. You know what? I've been loving the red cards here. Okay. Let's start with Cleansing Wildfire. One in red for a sorcery. Destroy target land. Its controller may search their library for a basic land card, put it on the battlefield tapped, then shuffle their library. You draw a card. And this is kind of like a expansion on the cycle of spreading seas. I think we got one in black in this set as well. Um, and at first I was kind of like, why would anyone ever want to play this? Um, but then someone mentioned that it's a cantripping ramp card for is it in soul because you can target your own dark steel citadel it doesn't destroy the citadel wow okay and i was like that's really cool i don't know if is it in soul wants a ramp card but 
hey, you know what? It is low on mana. It can't be low on mana. And getting to three CMC for that like that creature and soul artifact. Uh, his, I can never remember his name, but like that could be relevant. And, and the cantrip effect, of course, like that this replaces itself. It, is this a two for one? Because it draws you a, in that deck, in that play. Is this a two for one because it draws you a card and gets a land out? I mean, it, the land comes into play tapped, but it's like, yeah, cantripping rampant growth, basically. I mean, but is it is that worth a two card combo? I mean, in Pioneer, do you know what I'm saying? Like, what what lands are you targeting with this in Pioneer necessarily? Uh, Temple of the Forsaken Gods. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's stuff that's worth targeting for sure, but it's not like modern where Blast Zone probably like, in, like, in Pioneer. Like this, too, this but. is just a this is a, I don't like this card, Jerry, because it's too good. Like it's cheap, it's powerful, it cycles. Red decks can just consider running this to fight against land strategies, right? And this is like something that uh, a big mana type deck is just going to have one more thing to worry about and not like having played against them because it's it can be a tempo issue, but it's never a card advantage issue, right? Like you're never like, well, crap, I had to run this and I didn't do anything else. At least you like, at least it cycled itself. I think it's amazing as an option for red decks to have just i just feel like you know throw it in prowess to draw a card and get a trigger and still attack in and slow down your tron opponent that all seems good like yeah and and they might be cutting out their forest for all of these crawling barons these days. <laughs> Nailed my, it. my real thing is is an issue is is like in an aggressive red deck is this really what you want to be doing on turn two right like probably not and if you wait till turn three against Tron, that's not on the on the draw. You're not getting there half. The yeah, time. I mean, you do it against Tron. You don't do it against other decks. At least if you do it against Tron, you probably have Monastery Swiftspear or Soulscar Mage out, so you can still attack in for three, or maybe you're attacking or two or three, maybe if you Manamorphosed, and it's card neutral. Like you just get the card back. So it's like, what? What do you care? You're you're keeping your grip full. So if you if you use a turn and are card neutral to get rid of to take them off a of Tron. That's totally worth your second turn. Yeah, I guess that's one of those things where it's like, I worry, like, is this is this diluting my initial strategy that's already pretty good against Tron? Or is it saying, like, I'm going to recognize the advantage you're trying to create and take you off it while just, I'll, I'll take my 70% matchup to 75 by having this card and not try to, like, get to 95 or something like that. Like, I don't know, like, how that... There's like a, there's a, there's a, there's a balance there that has to be sort of met or attempted to create. Right. Uh, I think that this card probably not a good fit for Ponza because you don't want to give them basics in your Blood Moon deck. And I think that kind of exemplifies one of the issues that I have with it is that it's red and like you could just play Blood Moon. And if you're trying to hate out on Tron, yes, that comes down a turn later. And if you're on the draw, they may have already had Tron, but I don't like that this is bad with Blood Moon. So it would have to just go in a different deck or push Blood Moon out entirely. I, I I wonder, like, is this maybe your extra copies of Spreading Seas? And, like, you use it in maybe, like, some kind of controlling style deck to, I don't know, like, squeeze their mana while replacing itself while you, like, do other controlling things. Like, maybe Blue Moon can play something like this. Yeah. blue. Maybe it's just Blue Cleansing instead of Blue Moon or something. Right. Yeah, I think this is a cool card. I think this card will see play. I'm not 100% sure where yet, but it's two mana land destruction that draws a card. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> what more do you want? Like like put it in with Leon and Arbiter and play red-white taxes. And Ooh. then, you know, 
you can have your ghost quarters and your cleansing wildfires and then you're just you're doing it you know dave that is so good that's the deck that's the deck right there stan can we can we close out potentially this episode with leyline with leyline tyrant can we keep going okay let's do it let's we can let's 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 talk about leyline tyrant it's red it's big it's a flying dragon two red red you don't lose unspent red mana as steps and phases end. If you're like me, you don't realize that also means turns. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. When Leyline Tyrant dies, you may pay any amount of red. When you do, it deals that much damage to any target. It is a 4-4. Okay, so it's a 4-4 flyer, no haste. When it dies, you can pay any amount of red. When you do, you can dome your opponent. You can blow up some creature. You can do whatever you want. You don't lose the mana. As steps and phases end. That's interesting. It's like a giant red mana battery. Remember when I said cleansing fire does not Ponza? I think this is the type of card that I might want to explore in Ponza because you can get it out as early as turn two, and then you just get to like invest your resources into it. And either it's like a threat that is going to eventually deal a bunch of extra damage if they do somehow manage to uh, answer it, or it's just like another threat in your plan. This is like a big mana walking ballista. Like, you know what I mean? Like, this is this is cheaper than walking ballista. Walking ballista, you have to pay four mana to get one counter on. You're effectively paying one mana for one counter if you ever have mana sitting around. Yeah, I mean, and, and you don't have to use the red mana on, on it either. So if it dies suddenly and you're like, ah, you know what, I'm going to activate my uh, Pyromancer, Season Pyromancer in the graveyard and make two tokens instead. And like, you can do other things in Ponza specifically that can do that. You can cast other spells out of your hand. If you just want to cast a bunch of lightning bolts, go for it. Yeah. I love casting a bunch of lightning bolts. Yeah. The the problem with Ponza is like, I don't think you want to replace Chandra. You certainly don't want to replace Bloodbraid Elf. But maybe if like Chandra isn't cutting it, because of metagame forces, this does also contribute two pips to your Clothus Devotion, which I think is pretty cool. I mean, maybe you shave a Glorybringer in a non-creature meta where it's not very good or that kind of thing and exactly. keep this around instead. I mean, I I wasn't loving this card until you mentioned Ponza, and now I think it makes some sense. I could also see playing this in a deck where you are going to sacrifice it with like uh, Village Rites or something silly like that, where you're just going to like build up a bunch and then... If someone tries to kill it, you village rights it and then move on with your day. Yeah, that's you. You got something I didn't re, like. Sort of mention is that you can't take the counters off yourself. Like you know, someone has to kill it. So unlike walking blows, where you can just take the counters off and ping someone over time. This you have to have some way to either sacrifice it or target it with your own removal or something like that. Yeah, I mean the big thing is that if your opponent doesn't kill it, it kills them. That's a very good point. You know, like they're going to have to try to use a removal spell on it eventually. And you know, it's bad against path. It's good against a lot of other things. So yeah, this card creates more tension for the opponent than I initially gave it credit for. And I think I'm glad that you put this on here, Stan, because it got us talking about it and made me realize something that I think probably maybe some you know listeners also were like, yeah, whatever, this card is just another big stupid red card. I think this this creates tensions that are novel in the game. Yeah, I mean, think about this card with t- with Reclamation. Like, what if you're playing this with Wilderness Reclamation and some Hachi kind of Hachi. deck to like oh my keep God. your mana between turns? Like, that's, that's nuts. <laughs> so. Do it. Ban, ban Reclamation. Give us a reason to never have to worry about that thing again. Yeah. We are going into OT and we are going to make it up to our editor somehow. Oh, we, we, we do have next week. Don't forget. Um, no, no, I got another card I want to talk about tonight, though. Okay. All right. Close this out, Dave. Okay. 
big finish. The card I want to talk about is Magmatic Channeler. One in a red for a human wizard. As long as there are four or more instant and or sorcery cards in your graveyard, Magmatic Channeler gets plus three, plus one. Tap, discard a card, exile the top two cards of your library, then choose one of them. You may play that card this turn. Please, please let this be a card that makes it able for me to never have to play Abbot of Carol Keep ever again. This is what I am asking of you, Magmatic Channeler. This is the other card that I pre-bought a playset of because I think that it's very playable. I think it is good enough to be in that, maybe in that Rakdos Prowess deck that I was talking about earlier. You know, I think it could fit in some other places. Maybe it fits in Red Black Sacrifice. I don't want to talk about stuff that's behind a paywall, but Todd Anderson, right before we got on microphone, wrote an article on Star City Games about how much he loves this card. Uh, Hints about what it is. Part of what he wrote about is why it's good to discard cards with it, and part of what he wrote is why it's good to draw cards with it. So um, I think this card is super powerful, super good, and I look forward to playing with it going forward too. Wizard Tribal, maybe even, you know? It's good for sure. I, I wish that like the sort of spell mastery thing was fewer than four instant or sorceries. It's quite a bit, um, which makes it bonkers good. Like a four four for two with the with the activated ability is pretty darn good. But I think it, even without it, it probably has a lot of play. I think that there there's room for it, especially in Pioneer. And maybe even like you said, like maybe it makes it all the way to the modern. Who knows? Yeah, I, th- I think that four is not as much as as you might think at first glance. I, I think it could even be better in modern because you have access to Thought Scour or, or like effects, like more self-mill effects. Stan loves the Thought Scour enabler. Yeah, or free spells like Gutshot and Gutshot and Mutagenic Growth. Manamorphose, like Manamorphose into Channeler is is good, if not great. Yeah, I, I mean, you still have to untap with it. It doesn't get like haste like uh, that other wizard does, like the the wizard that requires two instant or sorceries that still can be like somewhat hard to enable. The Goblin Guide? No, no, the the it sees Pioneer play, not Modern play. Yeah, it's the one that's a 2-2 haster. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, the Goblin Guide. Well, not actually Goblin Guide. Okay, but right, but it's a spell mastery Goblin yeah, Guide. Him. That's what it is. Yeah, without the land trigger. Yeah, I don't. I think this card is good, and I think that it helps you just like grind too. If you're like I, I'm running out of steam. I can draw, look at two cards and be able to cast them. I can discard a card and get some synergy there. Like I, if I get to untap with this, tap, discard a lava dart. Look at the top two cards in my hand, and then pick up lightning bolt off and cast some stuff, and then lava dart. Like that's good. That's good stuff. <laughs> You know, well, isn't there a tension with Lava Dart because you don't want your own flashback spells to shrink this? Well, it just depends on how you sequence it, though. Like, y- it's nice to have the option. You can keep the Lava Dart there, you can swing in, and then you can cast the Lava Dart post combat if you want to. Like, there's lots of things going on. Yeah. Turn one, Thought Scour. Turn two, Manamorphose, 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 <laughs> Manamorphose. You did it. Yeah. Because you have you have all four. And the Thought Scour didn't get any other non-creature spells into your graveyard. Channeler. Yeah. Let's do it. Boom. Well, as I expected, we have a n- bunch of stuff to talk about next week still, along with the spoilers we get for the rest of the week. So I'm hyped. Yeah, it'll be a good episode next week. I won't be here, so it'll be especially good. <laughs> we'll miss you, Stan. I'll miss you, too. That wraps up this week's show. If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. And if you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. 
If you'd like to submit a question to the podcast or pick our brain on something in modern or pioneer, you can tweet us at the dive down, all one word, or email the dive down at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can join our Patreon over at patreon.com slash the dive down. We have perks, we have tournaments. Maybe if you participate in our tournaments, you might appear on M2G Goldfish if that matters to you. No promises, but it worked out that one time. Let's not lean too hard into that right now. <laughs> also, shout out to Manitraders.com for sponsoring the dive down. Sign up for Manitraders using promo code the dive down, all one word, and get 20% off your first three months of renting magic online cards. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and spend. Yo, money!